We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 150. Wow, already at 150, Scott. I feel like we just recorded number 100. Yeah, we did. Two a, two a week, I guess, will uh, get you to that extra 50 a little bit faster. So that's a nice little milestone, 150, right? Yeah, that's, did you get me uh, anything? That's kind of big time. Kind of big time. Um, no, I'm waiting for 300. <laughs> that's when you get your gift. Oh, wow. Not even 200. No, 300. I'm on 300. Okay. So the, the, the 2019 season. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, how or are you? Or World Series, whichever comes first. How am I? I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. I had a, a very nice weekend. It was, um, you know, the Yankees won a game, which was good because they haven't done that in a while. So one out, of, uh, one out of three wasn't bad, I guess, if you're looking at the past week and a half. But, you know, I'm busy, man. I'm busy trying to get ready for a baby. That's what that's my life right now. I am uh, I'm doing construction in the house, um, like remodeling things, getting a nursery ready, doing all sorts of crap, doing all sorts of adulting. So that's that's my life uh, over the past couple of weeks. You definitely have bigger fish to fry than the Yankees losing 10 out of 12. This is true. Maybe this is why isn't it is bothering me as much. Maybe I'm, st- I'm still optimistic. Maybe it's because of my mindset at this point. I, I think I'm a, a pretty optimistic guy moving forward. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was I was down in your parts of the woods uh, near Ridgewood, New Jersey uh, this yep. weekend. Um, on my way home, listening to that Yankee game in Pineda, I left a voicemail, by the way, which uh, you guys will hear towards the end of this episode. But just hearing Pineda give up bomb after bomb, it's the last two weeks of Yankees baseball have been so incredibly frustrating. I know that's an understatement, but... If you're if you're a fan of the Yankees right now, I I mean I don't know how we keep watching this team because it's from the first inning on. It's they're from behind. I I don't know how it's gone so bad, so badly in the last 2 weeks. You and I tried to stay positive last week, which was rare for me at least. 
This one, I don't know how positive we're going to be able to be after after this uh, next week of bad baseball. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I'll try to counterbalance you, but <laughs> it's going to be tough. The The thing is, is when you come on and start recording a show after you watch Michael Pineda, who, I mean, honestly, like today, I was, I was getting... I was getting angry for the first time in a long time when I'm watching someone throw because Michael Pineda just, he bothers me. He really bothers me badly. And just his facial expressions, everything that he does, the fact that he is like, you, you always, you, you've used this word before and I think it's, it's uh, described Tanaka and I'm going to, I'm going to throw it out there with, uh, with Pineda as well. And, and the, the first word that came to my mind was gutless, just an absolutely gutless performance in the fact that you come out on Old Timers Day, similar to what Tanaka did on Jeter Day. You got Old Timers Day, everybody's there, places packed, places like in a really, really good mood after you get all the guys come out. Jorge Posada's first Old Timers Day. And what do you do? You just you, you start giving up runs, run after run after what was it, the three nothing after the first inning? Six um, after the first two innings. Six after the first two innings, seven in total. Just terrible. Literally gave the Yankees no chance. They score six runs, lose the game after they crawl and fight tooth and nail back. It's just a, you know, it's it's a to me it was just a gutless performance, and I'm sick of all the hype of hearing about him doing <laughs> well at home because that's yeah, all that the graphics really were about. Translate, yeah. huh? No, no, he doesn't. It doesn't matter. He's he his his mind is is all over the place. In his two starts on this homestand, I think he gave mm-hmm. up six home five home runs. Five home runs in, in probably about eight innings pitched. Yeah, he did not have a good start the last time he pitched at home. So, right. as far as I'm concerned, Michael Pineda is <clears throat> uh, is unreliable once again. Not that I was ever duped. I can't say that for both of us, but well, the, he's the same dude. He's it wasn't, same dude. My, wasn't my best moment. Anytime you need to count on Michael Pineda, you know it, you're in bad shape. Uh, yeah. The Yankees, though, like you said, they were, they were chipping and clawing and trying to get back in that game. The offense... Though, I don't know how... I mean, when your pitchers go out there and puts you in such a huge hole, and it's been a trend for the, for the two weeks of baseball that they've lost 10 of 12 games, somehow they're still in first place, which I don't even believe it. I'm reading the, st- the standings, and I'm like, how are the Yankees still tied for first place? It just goes to show you how good they had been playing. But when your offense is immediately in a multiple-run hole before it can even take the field, I don't know what... They're probably in the dugout like, screw this. Like, what, what do we do? It's just, no, I think they saddle up. We're like, okay, it's on us again, on us again. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, they have to be perfect. They have to do a lot of these things. But at the same time, there's a lot of squandered opportunities still. I mean, I'm not going to cry about six runs in a game, but at the same time, I'm looking at Chase Headley on second base with no outs. And, you know, at that point to me, I'm tying the game up, right? Like Tyler Austin's up. I, I still don't know. We'll go into the intricacy, in the, the details of the game, but like, you got to get that runner over. I don't care how. Like Girardi, bunt. You got to bunt. Why doesn't everybody know how to bunt? He's he's an athletic dude. He's not like he's a big lumbering guy. He could bunt. Bunt him over. Get the freaking runner over. Just get the runner over any way you can. So I don't know. There's there's a lot of things that were frustrating, but I I can't I can't give them any more thought because all my thought and my anger needs to go to Michael Pineda for just burying this team from from the very pitch from the very beginning of the of the game. It's terrible. We're we're getting on Pineda, but it's every starting pitcher. It's every it's every it goes into the middle relief. It's the pitching has caught up to this team in a big way. We knew that was going to be the problem going into the season. It wasn't. Their pitchers were going deep into the games. It's not rocket science. If your starters can get you into the seventh inning when you have Araldis Chapman and Dylan Batances, you're going to win a lot of games. But when your starters go four plus innings, five plus innings, and you have to trans, uh, transfer it over to that middle relief. It's. I mean, it's a crapshoot. Middle relief is middle relief for a reason. They're not late-inning pitchers because they're not good enough to be late-inning pitchers. I mean, people get mad about how, how do the Yankees have all these Jonathan Holder, Jason Shreve, Tyler Clippard, who has just been totally lost. How do they have all these guys that can't get outs? Well, every team, if you look at the underbelly of every bullpen in Major League Baseball, it's filled with a bunch of crappy guys, or else they wouldn't be middle relief. You know, the other thing that goes into that is is that because the the amount of Yankee starting pitchers who haven't gotten length, the middle relief guys who are not supposed to be out there every single day are getting work every yeah. single day. And they're not used to, to the middle relief guys are not used to going out there and throwing every single day. Some of the, some of the closers are some of the eighth inning guys are, are, you know, more seasoned to go out there a lot, a lot more often, but because there are so many middle relief guys, you know, they, they have days in between. They're not in every single day. 
So they're getting work a lot and a lot. And to me, when you're overworked, when you're when your starting pitching is not doing what it's supposed to do, you're overworking the middle of your bullpen. When the back end of your bullpen's hurt, the middle's got to pick that up. So there's a problem there. I mean, the injuries are certainly not helping. The, the fact that CeCe's out and you're, we're, we're throwing guys like Luis Sessa in there and that Chapman's injured and Warren's injured, like these are all big factors. That I'm not, I'm not you know, dismissing those because I think they're enormous factors in what's happening. And they're just exposing middle relief guys for, for being in too many games and too many situations that they probably shouldn't be in. I hate blaming injuries. It's part of it, though. I mean, it absolutely is because the other guys part of that spot and they're just not good enough to do that. Of course, it's part of it. But when you blame injuries, it's I mean, what are you, the only team with injuries? No, I'm not blaming injuries. Nobody's blaming injuries. I'm saying it's part of the equation on why the suckage is as bad as it is. (laughs) Speaking of injuries, because it's bad. It can't just be one thing. Speaking of injuries, Aaron Hicks is now on the DL with an oblique, uh, strained oblique, right oblique, which obliques are always scary. Those seem to always keep guys out for longer than expected. And it wasn't the Achilles, which I guess is good news for Hicks, but he was he was in a big slump, three for twenty four over his last seven games. The uh, the I think Aaron Hicks started slumping just about when we said, "Hey, is Aaron Hicks a really good player now?" <laughs> well, it was after the injury after he came back. That's that's the seven games that's counting in that twenty four at bat. So he got I think a hit, maybe two hits that first game. I think he got one hit that first game, and he's been really just in a slide. So I don't know if he's just not feeling right overall, or he is Aaron Hicks now. He's just going back to the guy that that we had seen in the past, and um, you know, I, this, the, the the first few uh, months were just a farce. I don't know. I mean, how will we ever know now? I don't think we will. Ellsbury's coming back. He's probably going to be coming up uh, as Hicks goes on the DL. He was going to be rehabbing in Scranton a little longer, but the injuries are forcing their hand. Slumps happen, though. If Aaron Hicks is in a slump or if one of the outfielders or, or Castro or Didis, or if someone goes in a slump, I mean, I feel like this team still has enough bats to overcome it. It's back to the pitching. The pitching no, no is doubt. the reason why they're, they've lost 10 out of 12 games. So, um, hey, it's, uh, it's been bad, but there was some good news when I woke up Saturday morning and saw that Chris Carter was finally designated for assignment. It made me smile. I think we need to take a moment and have a moment of silence for Chris Carter. Okay, that was very nice. Scott, what was your favorite Chris Carter moment? (laughs) You know, the... I, I'm still in love with the with the image of his helmet flying down on his face with the bat breaking. Uh, that was a good one. Yeah, I, I'm glad he made contact in that one because that's to me the one that's ingrained in my head. The other one is is the you know closing the glove before the ball actually gets to your gloves on oh, yeah. first base. That's that's that another classic, classic, classic. How about Carter episode? Deciding to swing the bat against Craig Kimbrell before the pitch was even thrown, not looking at where it was thrown, closing your eyes and missing it by three feet. Yep. Yep, also another classic moment in the Yankee career of one Chris Carter. How the about man, the, the the fact that the man was in the major leagues made the New York Yankees with his eyes closed also impressive. Extremely how, impressive. How about the time where it was a slow chopper up the first baseline and he went over with his eyes closed and had it go right through him? Yeah. Perfect. I mean, honestly, it was the ground's fault. The anticipation of the hop was pretty perfect. It's the uh the, the ball didn't cooperate and um, I, I I blame the grounds crew for that one. Chris Carter Hundred percent not to blame on that one. Three three million, three and a half million. What was it? Did he have a bonus in there? It was it was a, a lot of a money. Half, three and a half million when it's all said and done uh, out of the pocket of Steinbrenner. Three and a half million dollars for what will be a a nice memory in in our Yankees uh, fandom having Chris Carter, the Chris Carter, you know, first two months of 2017. I think we'll uh, I don't think we'll ever forget it. In spring training, when we watched him play first base and we watched him swing, you and I sat there on the podcast and said he's going to be DFA'd by June. Yes, because the eyes don't lie. That's another. There's some more. There's some more uh, evidence in why the eye test is the greatest thing in baseball. Your eyes do not lie because he is a terrible baseball player. And it's. I mean, it's not for. You can't use the excuse. Oh, hey, he's he was an everyday player, and they were using him on the bench. That's not what he's best suited for. He played pretty much every day for three months. He did, and. You know, I think if the if there were more home runs, he would still be on this team. They would have put up with the rest of the nonsense. How many? What? How many home runs? He has eight or had eight. How many home runs do you think he would have needed to hit? I think he probably needed to be around fifteen. 
at this point. Yeah, it's like almost twice as much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you're striking out that many times, it's, I think it was at a 40, 40%, 47% clip. That's pretty good. That's <laughs> up there. Prodigious. Yeah. It was, yeah. the Yankees released him three days after Brian Cashman said he's the best first base option this team has. So I, I like that by Cashman. He goes out and says, Carter's the best option we have. Carter gets a little comfortable, probably extends the lease on his apartment. And then boom, Friday night, DFA'd. I love it. Yeah. I mean, Friday night was bad. He had an opportunity to get a runner in on, uh, uh, in the ninth inning or tenth inning, and he struck out three times. So really, it was a classic way to go down. Honestly, like completely, just uh, three out of four strikeouts, and then your final at bat, um, just completely failing in in helping out the team. So it was a it was it was a moment. It was a good moment for him to go. It was perfect. Hopefully, he bought Ronald Torres one last beer for saving his ass on Friday. Yeah. Do you think if Carter even just gets a sack fly on Friday night, they DF, they DFA him? No, I think if he helped the team in that game, they would not have. At least it would not have happened at that at that point. It was. I mean, it it was coming. It was. It was obvious it was coming. And I think the fact that Tyler Austin got really hot over the last few games in AAA pushed the Yankees' hand. But it's just funny that one one moment could have changed uh, a lot for Carter. No, it's you know I, I I'm still looking at the way that the roster is set up right now and I, after you know talking with Donnie Moore about it on Thursday as well you know when you look up and down this lineup if Greg Bird is not coming back and is not a healthy first baseman which at this point there's no sign saying he is I mean there's nothing I mean, even Donnie was talking about that injury about being a pain tolerance thing like that was very surprising when he said that to me or when he said that to us because I was expecting you know just when you have a bone bruise like that that it's just going to go away it, it, it just heals but the fact that they're talking about this being a pain tolerance issue is is uh, to me it's it's a bigger problem. I don't know what the issue is, but that that was very surprising. So you can't count on on Judge right now, or on a uh, Judge. You can count on Judge. You can't count one. on Bird right now. Um, so the depth at first base right now in the organization is a big problem. It really is. <laughs> they could, I guess, they could go Jimon Choi, right? They if could. They, if they really get desperate, or uh, the other guy Donnie mentioned, Mike Ford. Is that his name? Yeah, but that's a, I mean, again, this is a oh, guy that's who's real desperate because neither of them are on the forty man roster. So you got to right. add them to the forty man roster, and and it's only been two games for Tyler Ross, and he had two bad games. And you know, it was funny. I was listening to John and Susan on the drive home today, and um, for a second, Susan said Tyler Austin left the game with an injury, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, oh my god, this is just perfect. The Yankees are going to have to call Chris Carter all desperately and say, we want you back, we want you back. Turned out, no, it was. Aaron Hicks, who was injured, and she just didn't look out to right field to see Tyler Austin. But that would have just been perfect if that was the case. You know, how much shit would that have been if they DFA him and then have to bring him back? I mean, they're going to have to give him more money <laughs> to get to bring him back. <laughs> New I mean, signing bonus. Zero. There's zero percent chance that happened. That's that's when you go out and you go uh, you go look at what what just fell on the Oakland A's scrap heap and Stephen Vote, and you go get him and you bring him in, which I still could see happening unless he's signed today and I didn't see it, but. I could see that type of... I still think they're going to have to go out and get a veteran guy. I was more talking about the organizational depth than I was against Tyler Austin for two days because I'm not worried. Like, this guy's got to no. have you know, a, a lot of games under his belt before we make a judgment on him. I mean, shit, same- we, gave, we gave Chris Carter three months. Let's give Tyler Austin more than two days. Yeah, I mean, we didn't. We, we certainly <laughs> didn't give him three months, but... Um, they did. I still think they're going to go out and, they, and, and add somebody as, <clears throat> as an organizational depth guy because I feel like they have to. Absolutely. What did you think of this? So this loss on Thursday, ten to five to Anaheim, uh, that was that score is a lot more lopsided than the game actually was. This this caused a lot of uh, anger on on Yankees Twitter, and I got into it with a lot of different people. So Castro made that huge error in the seventh inning that that changed the game for the Yankees. They yeah. were up one one at that time. He makes the error. It's first and third. Severino gets pulled from the game. Then Shreve comes in and gives up the sack fly, and then Batantis comes in and looks like Tyler Clippard out there. I mean, he's throwing balls to the backstop. He's getting rocked. Batantis in the middle of an inning never works out. Um, But regardless, Castro, I understand Castro's error was the turning point of the game, but there were so many other factors in this game that caused the Yankees to lose that I think blaming only the error is disingenuous and ignoring the other issues, which is the fact that Severino couldn't go uh, couldn't hold a five to one game. The Yankees got five runs for him in the first three innings, and he couldn't hold it. The fact that the bullpen 
melted down again, and that Girardi failed to know what we all know about Dellen Batances, and that's he doesn't pitch well when he comes in with runners on base in the middle of an inning. Use him for a clean inning. We know he's good in that situation. Who knows? He might have still gone out there and looked wild and given up home runs, but he Girardi didn't use him in his at his uh, best chance to win. The one thing I don't get about Girardi, and we've talked about this with Batances at length, if you know there's an opportunity and you're... You're, you know, he's on your list to come in in that inning. Why not just start the inning with him? That's what I don't understand. Seems if you're going to so bring simple. him in, then just bring, just, just let him start it. Why not? I don't get that. That's right. the one thing. Girardi was comfortable using him in the seventh inning with only one out. Why not just use him for a clean seventh inning? Yeah, exactly. That's so. I, I, I don't quite understand that. And I must say something about the. Uh, I, I know we're going to talk about this because I, I've, I have notes in here that I, I need to talk about it. But Gary Sanchez. Um, defense. I was tweeting about it as well. Like, to me, it's a glaring issue right now. He's playing terribly behind the plate. But that ball that Batances threw to the fence, he talked about this. That someone had talked to him about it. But apparently, he did that because he real he when he looked at home plate and saw where Sanchez was lined up, realized that it was not where uh, there was a cross up. He was not expecting the 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 fastball at that point, and it said and Batances said that he just kind of let it go, and that's when it hit the fence. So. So he was like, didn't want to throw it right at Sanchez's neck or something? <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if it just distracted him or whatever, and he just let it go at that point, thinking that it could come off the wall faster. I don't know, because it actually did. Um, but but there was a cross-up there, and it, and it caused a problem. It's just, you know, again, we're going to talk about this, because I think there were a lot more issues with, with Gary Sanchez. But Yeah, but it's, Sanchez, it's definitely an issue. When you have a, when you have a situation <clears throat> like that, you cannot be crossed up. It just, it just cannot happen. There, you need to be on the same page with your catcher and your pitcher. It has to happen. But that also goes back to Batances doesn't do well with runners on base. He doesn't hold runners. I mean, no, but Albert Pujols, Albert Pujols, who can't walk down to first base, was stealing three consecutive times off you. That's embarrassing. There were foul balls, foul ball, foul ball, and then he ran again. <laughs> right, and was no problem. I mean, no problem. Pujols is fifty years old and looks gimping. like fifty pounds overweight at this point. Yeah, he's gimping too. Yeah. And and Girardi, I mean Girardi. So Girardi should know. And and Sweeney uh, tweeted out some stats that uh, Batanz is coming into the middle of an inning is horrendous. He lets like half the inherited runner score. So also let's let, how about this? You have you saw Severino go out there in the sixth inning and get kind of hit hard. So it's five to four game at that point. If you go to to Batanzas in the in the seventh inning and he gets a clean inning, maybe your offense tacks on a run. And you don't even need him. Uh, to pitch a second inning. It's not always we have a seventh inning guy, we have an eighth inning guy, we have a ninth inning guy. It doesn't always have to be that exact formula. I mean, that's that's like a broken record on this show, it seems like, because we talk about it all the time. And the reason we talk about it all the time is because the situations come up all the time where Girardi refuses to move these guys away from their comfortable spots or his comfortable spots for them because I think that's honestly more of what it is. I mean, we all know that Chapman's not pitching any any inning but the ninth, but you have these other guys you could throw wherever, whenever, however. I mean, Patances has come out and said that he's going to do whatever he needs to do to help the team. It's, it's very clear that that's, that's what he will do. Um, and he's got no problem. But yes, put him in a situation where he's at a point where he could, you know, prove that he could succeed. And it's you look at it and we know, everybody knows who's watching the game. Clean inning, Batantis, much better. <clears throat> Please, God, just do that. <laughs> the last thing I'll say about this is the fact that, yeah, you can get mad at the error all you want, but errors at the end of the day are flukes. The other stuff is not flukes. That The other stuff is trends that can be avoided. Well, and, the, and on that error, if we're looking at that error, specifically that error, that ball took a very weird hop and did a little bit of a turn on Castro. So granted, I still think he should have gloved it, but it was a, it was a weird ground ball. The Yankees lose, so that's they lose four out of six to Anaheim. Anaheim missing Mike Trout. Anaheim's a 500 team, but the Yankees made them look like much better than 500 team. Texas comes in. It's it's uh, a Japanese pitchers duel. Tanaka versus Darvish. Uh, battle for the pride of Japan. <laughs> Tanaka finally stepped up for the first time really since that game in Boston. Yeah, and he he pitched really well, and there was a there was just a different look on his face, and made, I'm sure it had something to do with the fact uh, that he was 100%. going up against Darvish, had because to, you right? know how much. Well, yeah, because the the media, the Japanese media, was probably off the charts. I mean, there were probably. I mean, this was know, like three to four was, times. 
Yeah, this was like a Japanese Super Bowl over there when it's Darvish versus Tanaka. Yeah, it's a big deal. And Tanaka's the uh, the elder statesman, so he's got to make sure that you know he steps on the throat. He's got to say you, the, you know the the mentor cannot be beaten by the mentee. I mean that has that, that that's the guy that has to have, you know make sure he comes out and do a pitch a good game. Do you remember those games back in the early 2000s when the Yankees and Mariners would play and it would be Matsui and Ichiro on the same yeah. team? I mean, there'd yeah. be a thousand media members there from Japan. Yeah, so he definitely got up for it. And you could see it on his face. He just had a different level of intensity. It looked like he really wanted to uh, just just pitch well in that game. I, mean, I don't know. There was a That's the best way for me to describe it was that there was a different level of intensity and, and just the, the mannerisms he had um, just looked like a confident guy. And he was coming out throwing strike one, strike one, strike one. And when he throws strike one, then he's a lot more difficult because then you gotta you gotta look for that fastball, and if that splitter's going down, you're in big trouble. And that's what happened. All right, so it has is Tanaka figured it out a little bit? I yeah, I mean, look, I have more confidence in Tanaka figuring it out than a lot of these other guys. I think Tanaka's going to be fine eventually. You know, if, whether this <laughs> eventually. Is, well, we said this. This is what he's two out of the last three starts have been good, right? He didn't follow up the one in uh, in Oakland. With uh, with when he pitched against Anaheim, right? Yep, yep. And now, so, so this is two of three that have been good. Yep, dating so back to that, that first let's look game. Look at that little sample size, and it's a, and it's it's trending in the right direction. You're dating back to the first West Coast game against Anaheim two Mondays ago uh, against. Oh yes, oh, you're right. It was against Anaheim, and then he should have done it against Oakland and got lit up. Right. Yep. Yeah. Two out of three. Yeah. So two out of three ain't bad, <laughs> especially when you <laughs> lost better than Noah. 10 out zero of out of three. Yeah. Uh, Yankees, uh, for a second, thought they were going to lose this game. And this is, I think, what you're talking about with Chapman and the wild pitches and uh, Sanchez not getting his glove down. Well, it was just glaring. I mean, I understand that Chapman was wild when you're when you're uh, when he came in. He was not uh, he was not the, the same Chapman. Obviously, he let up a run. But at the same time, you're looking at Sanchez's glove and it's just turned the wrong way. I mean, like very, very basic, fundamental things that you need to do as a defensive catcher Uh Gary or Gary Carter, what the hell is wrong with me? Uh, Gary Sanchez is just not doing them. He's not doing these things, and he looks like a liability defensively behind the plate. We yeah. all know what he does with his arm. He's got a rocket arm. Honestly, it has not been accurate lately. It's nope. been kind of all over the place. But defensively behind the plate with everything in the dirt, he's really shown problems pretty much the entire year. And over the past two to three games, to me, they were glaring. He's definitely regressed from last year because we did not see this last year. It's almost like he's losing focus behind the plate, and I think I think that's was one of the complaints the Yankees had about him in the minor leagues is that he would lose focus mentally, defensively, and it would cost him. And he's I, he, I feel like he, that's a lot of these issues, like the cross up or not getting the glove down, or I mean I don't know if that's really a factor to throwing the ball into center field, but it might be. I mean, there's it's rushing things, right? It's do, it's not going through the mechanics that you're supposed to be there. If your mechanics are right, then you're not rushing. You're doing things that it's muscle memory, and you're not trying to, um, you know, overthrow or do whatever to to catch up with the, your body that's not moving as fast. So there are certain things, and you're looking at if you listen to the broadcast too. When um, I think it was it was uh, when Shreve was pitching, uh, and Sanchez kept coming out. He came out like three times. And he, if you, this whole series, he came out a number of times to talk to the pitchers. I know he's done that. I mean, looking at last year, he does come out more than some catchers, but it's almost like he's, he's not sure of what's happening. And so he's got to keep coming back out to make sure that they're on the same page. And to me, that is a problem because not only, not only are you not giving a level of confidence for your pitcher, who's trying to get Barry uh, a breaking ball and have the confidence that you're going to block it, but also that. You know, you're coming out there and you're ruining any kind of momentum or any kind of rhythm that a pitcher has. And to me, rhythm is important. You hear Cohen talking about this. He's like, I used to hate when the catcher would come out all the time. It's like, I'm good. Let's just go. So I don't know. Also, to me, it's a concern, something to look at. Also, pace of play. <laughs> pace of play, yeah. Problem for there. But isn't it ironic, though, that he caught Tanaka on Friday night and Tanaka had pitched really well? So the whole personal yeah. catcher thing. Well, yeah, it's something that we've never believed in. So it's just co- oh, it kind of course. it kind of goes into our mindset, and that it means absolutely nothing who's catching. He makes up for it with his bat, obviously. Yeah, he does. But I mean, there, you better do a lot with your bat because there are certain uh, situations where um, that that's not going to be able to be ha- that's not going to that's not going to help. You know, when you when you let up a defensive run um, because you're letting balls get by you, and there were runs scoring because balls were getting by Sanchez uh, late in the game, then you know sometimes you're not going to be up, and you're costing your team. The game because of your defense, and I don't know. I don't know what 
Uh, maybe he's just in a, a defensive slump because I'm sure that can happen too. But he's got to clean that shit up. Were you listening to the broadcast during his three-run homer? Today? To Sterling, yeah. Did you listen uh, to Sterling during yeah, Sanchez? Did. did you hear his... Uh, this might not be new. It's the first time I've heard it. He said, he Gary's a big stick. Oh, he... I, uh, is that what he said? I thought he said yeah. something else. I didn't... He called him the Sanchino. Because I tweeted Chino. something out. Yeah, I heard that. He called us, And then he said, he Gary's a big stick instead okay. of carries. <laughs> now I'm looking to see what I tweeted because I heard something different when I said it. Is Sterling's, said, Sterling's pun game is just out of this world. No, I love the pun game. It's good. Uh, what did I say? Oh, he said, <clears> and Gary's... Oh, and Gary's a big stick. I got you. Yeah. I thought he was calling... He said, Barry, he said Gary's a big stick. I didn't get the whole Gary's a big stick. I got it. Oh, Gary's... Like, Gary is, is a big Gary stick. I think Gary is a big stick. Yeah. Is, do you think that's what it actually means? Well, now you're giving me doubt. I don't know. Gary's <laughs> a big stick. That See, that's be, the beauty of Sterling. It's it, yeah. it's both. It can mean both. See, I didn't hear that not until you just said it, and now I'm reading it again, and I'm reading it differently. Yeah. Wow. Maybe he's just a genius, and we didn't know it. <laughs> oh, he's certainly a genius. We know that. He just has no eyes. He just can't see anymore. Oh, God. He called he called Headley's a home run, which was a ground rule double. He called Didi's, which would have been a home run, right? But it was fouled by a couple feet. It's it's a roller coaster of emotions when you're listening to John Sterling. Dude, I got so excited when uh, Didi hit that ball because I thought for sure it was out. I'm listening to Sterling in the way, just, you know, I, I, I don't know. I get duped by him all the time because he gets me so pumped up. And just at the very end, foul ball. Like, I mean, it's a, it was heartbreaking. I'm not going to lie. I was, I was, I had like, uh, I had, I had chills. I was so angry. The Yankees have momentum coming out of Friday night's walk off win. And, I'm thinking this could be an, a turning point, right? You're thinking they, they've got momentum. They're going to come out. They're facing a career minor leaguer, Austin Biberian, Bieber, Biberian. What's his actual name? Bieber Dirks. Bieber Dirks. Austin Bieber Dirks uh, absolutely shoved the bats down their throat. This guy's been in the minor leagues for 12 years, you said. 12-year minor leaguer. First of all, I mean, I, you got to commend the commitment for being in the minor leagues for 12 years. That's a long-ass time. Yeah, that's a, a guy that a really... He must have, like, family money or something to, to, to just go in the minor leagues for 12 years making, like, 30 grand. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that works, but he's uh, he's 32 years old. You know, you travel... I don't really think you have very many expenses when you're down there doing that, so it depends on who's travel. If your wife's traveling with you, I'm sure you could put some away. I don't know what the... Is there a level of, like, if you're a 12-year vet in the minor leagues, is there a nice escalator? For minor league pay, I don't think I don't it's know. that nice. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but yeah, I mean, look, part of me is like good for him because he's a twelve-year guy coming up. He's a thirty-two-year-old rookie. Like that's pretty awesome. As an old guy looking at that, I'm like, I, I applaud. But the fact that the Yankees uh, get shut down, this offense gets shut down by a twelve-year minor leaguer, also lends you to very, very big disappointment. Yeah, it makes you want to gouge your eyes out. That where'd <laughs> the momentum go? Where'd that offensive momentum go? I guess you could say Luis Sessa kind of sucked it out of them, but he gives up one run in the first inning, two runs in the fourth inning. It's not like insurmountable. Obviously we saw this offense come back on Sunday, but two hits into the sixth inning before judges home run. Yeah. No, the, the offense was, was, uh, was baffled. It goes back to what? Two, three years, you know, even, even longer than that. It seems oh, like the Yankees ever since I've been watching them, they the can't first, hit the first time you know, when they face pitchers. a first time guy. Yeah. <clears throat> doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've been in the minor leagues, but so I, I think I actually think Sessa didn't pitch badly. I think he pitched what five innings, three runs. He kept him in the game. He did what they were, what he was kind of supposed to do. Keep him in the game as that as that guy coming up. Um, but honestly, like when I'm when you're watching him pitch, to me he looked better than I, than I I had seen. Like his stuff looked better than I had seen in a while. He's got a really live fastball. I think he pulled a Severino and just let up a big home run in the in that fourth inning that kind of ruined the line. But overall, I thought he pitched pretty well. You know, the pitch count's got to get got to get down, um, and you need to limit those big mistakes. But I, I thought he pitched well, and I think he's, he's got potential. If he can ever harness it, I don't know. But he's got the stuff, that's for sure. The game certainly looks lopsided because the bullpen came in and once again stunk. And I, don't, I didn't mind using Clippert in the ninth inning there to try and again get some confidence because what was it, a 5-1 to one game at that point when he comes in? It was 4-1. 4-1. It one. was 4-1. And I don't <laughs> even, was it the ninth? I thought it was like the eighth inning. I thought he was had late come in the in. game. Yeah, he came in earlier. It, it was still not. It was a four-one game to me. A four-one game at home with the offense that you have. That's but still already, a ball game. But you just played an extra in a game the, the night before. You kind of burnt a lot of your bullpen at that point. Yeah, I get it, but it's still a ball game. It's still a ball game, and you're you're still bringing him in. To me, that's still a, a, a decently high leverage situation because 
you know, you can either keep the keep them in the game or you put up a couple more runs and then you completely take him out of it, then you're really screwed. So he he's, got, he's still got very limit. So it was the ninth inning, but he's still got very limited um, room to work. And he just was off again, like really off, bad, well, bad. I, but I get what Girardi's trying to do. He's trying to put him in no pressure situations situation to try and get him right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not it's not working. <laughs> it's, 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 like, it's not working. Clearly not working. So what do you do with him? But again, you, see, so to me, uh, I, I see Tyler Clippard as the, the Tanaka case. I have a lot of confidence that Clippard's going to come back and be fine. I, I really do. I think he's going to be fine at some point. I don't think they're going to... I don't think this is a situation with Chris Carter where you DFA the guy because he's got the track record where you can look back and say, he's, a, he's not this guy. He's, a, he's not too old. He feels good physically. Like, this is, a, this is a rut. Whereas Carter is that guy. Like, that's the guy that you're seeing. He, that's, his, that's his bio. I mean, he hit a couple more home runs, but that's his bio. He strikes out a lot. He's not that great defensively. So you, what are you going to get more? You're not. Clipper, to me, still has that upside or that, you know, that ceiling that's still there. And I, and I think they need to give him more time to, to figure it out. And I think they will. You might need to fake DL him at this point, though, and yeah. give him 10 days off, let him go back down to Scranton to pitch a couple rehab games, and then you give him another shot. And then if he's still giving up four runs an inning, then I guess you have to DFA him because he, he's lost it. He's lost it mentally and physically, it looks like, at this point. Yeah, the problem is, is that running out of arms here. Running out of arms. I mean, you got to keep bringing up guys from AAA, but well, with, Warren, with Warren still but, on the shelf, but uh, he's at running the out point. of arms. I mean, Clippard's at the point where... Literally Zero anybody yeah. in the in the minor league system could pitch better than that. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's completely shook. And you know, look, I, I don't, I'm not giving him credit for for what he's done on the field, but if you listen to the post game interviews too, I mean, the dude's owning it. He realizes that it's not sure. like that type of guy who. But a lot of guys, I think, kind of deflect. They deflect, 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 deflect. How do you deflect that? He's he, he comes well, in and he either walks somebody or gives up an extra base hit. He, like, I, he, but he's just like, look, it's I feel only on good. him. I feel good. But I'm pitching horribly right now. I, I don't I, I think it's mechanical. I don't know what it is. I gotta go out there and execute. I'm doing terribly. I don't know. For whatever reason, I just believe the guy. I don't I think he's gonna be okay. I think he's gonna come back, get a little bit of confidence, figure out what the hell's wrong with him, and uh and and be okay. But right now it's it's bad. And you're right, maybe that like maybe that fake DL thing is uh is, it should be an option, especially if he comes out and gives another uh, stinker one more time. Another thing we didn't mention about Gary Sanchez, and I'm, I'm moving on to Sunday's game when it was the seventh inning, and um, was it Didi who got the base hit to score Judge, and then Sanchez Probably tried just to Didi gets a big hit every time he's up. <laughs> Sanchez tried to go first to third. Sanchez yeah. sometimes makes poor base running decisions. He runs the bases like he's a faster runner than he really is, and he get he got thrown out. You had Headley coming up who. I know you can't say would have gotten the double, but he did get the double the next inning. But that's a situation where, where what is Sanchez doing trying to push that? It's already two outs. You're already going to be in scoring position. Yeah. I'm wondering if Espada was giving him the little, uh, little uh, you know, wheel, giving him, the, giving him the run sign. Because Espada is known to do that. Espada runs you into outs a lot. <laughs> I, I, it's hard to see that Gary Sanchez, with the play behind you, doing that on his own, you know? But like you said, he looks like he's kind of having mental lapses out there on the field. Yeah. I, see, I think, personally, I don't even think it's mental lapses. I think it's just when he's a catcher, uh, you said it's the focus issue. It's it's like focus and it's almost just like being lazy with like expecting your body to do things that it's not going to do. But Because you have to put the, like you said, the focus. I don't know if it's a mental lapse. I just think it's the, the lack of like, you know, just making sure you're ready for all these situations and just like going over routines. Like, remember how we talked about, and you always, you always shit on this, but the, the fact that these guys do these, these small muscle memory drills in, in spring training. Like, I yeah. think a lot of those things, like literally turning the glove, like doing those things, practicing, you know, di- you know, shoving your glove between your legs to, um, to get down on the ball. Like, these are things that have to be practiced almost on a daily basis because if you don't do them, you can get lazy by accident. I suppose that's the best argument for it. I still think it's stupid. I, I still think Sanchez is blocked enough balls in the dirt where he should know how to do that by now. That should, should be muscle memory by now. It should be. You're right. But, you know, he obviously hasn't done it in a while because he's not doing it in game. So I don't know if he's practicing it. 
Did you hear on the broadcast on Thursday, Michael Kay, say that the MLB is doing a weekend in August where they're letting players wear anything they want on their uniform? They can wear their uniform however they want, and they can put any name on the back that they want. They can do nicknames. They can do no names or whatever. Do you think the Yankees are going to allow their players to put names on their back? Because that's never happened. I was really hoping that Chris Carter would be up there so he could do like a throwback XFL with He Hate Me right on the back (laughs) for for Chris Carter because I think it would have been perfect. Um, I don't think they'll do it. I think they will not put names on their back. I really hope they don't because it's just that there, there's a certain tradition and call it arrogance, call it um, being, uh, you know, turning your nose up at the rest of the league. But okay, that's fine. That's what we do. It's There's a tradition with the New York Yankees. And traditionally, you don't put names on the back of the Yankee uniform. And uh, I don't think they should. I, I hope they don't. Well, you know they're going to do something where then they're going to put that jersey into the store and sell it for a cool $95. Yeah. With the name on the back, I mean, they yeah, do whatever anyway, but. nicknames or no, but it'll be they'll do something unique where they're gonna do. Oh, now we can sell this in the Yankees store. Yeah, they're always looking for something like that, but it's it's stupid. <clears throat> I, I mean, I understand what they're doing. They're trying to have more fun. I got no problem with people having fun. Like, yeah, why are you a hater of fun? <laughs> yeah, it's it's just it's just you're really really if that's what you need for people to like baseball, then you got pro- you got bigger problems. <laughs> Stop being a curmudgeon. Yeah, I'm sure the ratings that weekend are going to be through the roof. Because oh yeah, everybody can't can't wait to see right. what's on the back. Right, guys. The, ordin- the ordinary viewer who's not going to watch a Saturday afternoon baseball game is now going to tune in to to the game to see what guy has what name on the back. They'll definitely watch four hours of it too. All the whole game they'll watch just so I can see and remember what's on the back of of. Uh, Whoever's wearing He Hate Me or whatever the hell they used to wear, the XFL. It's it's a gimmicky. It just it feels too gimmicky. It feels like a minor league ploy. I'm assuming they're going to have to stick with their current number, right? Or else that would just confuse the hell out of people. Yeah, I feel like numbers are more of an identifier than the, the name itself even. Yeah, because you can't really read those. Yeah. All right, guys, before we get into mailbags, I want to take a second to ask everybody out there to rate and review the podcast in iTunes and Google Play, Stitcher Radio, wherever it is you guys are listening. This really, really helps us out. It's awesome. I know we're over 300 reviews at this point. Scott and I love reading them. It helps us create more shows because the more times people searching for Yankees and see that this podcast has a five-star rating, which it does, which is awesome, they're going to listen. And the more we grow, the better guests we're going to get on and the more fun we're going to have. So please take a second Go give it a rating and review. All right. First up in the mailbags is from Jared Costanza. And I think he's now two weeks in a row making it onto the mailbag. He says, you guys are saying the Yankees need to trade for starting pitching. Assuming everybody is healthy, who comes out of the rotation? They aren't always good, but none of them have been bad enough to take out of the rotation. I think bullpen arms would be more important, and that would be a cheaper option. Yeah, so... I mean, I, I, I agree with you to the point where someone's got to come out of the rotation if that's the uh, if that's if that's what's going to happen. But I think when you're looking at a, a run late in a ser- in a in a season, you got to make sure that your your best guys are there. If you can add uh, an arm that's controlled as well, because I still think that's one of the keys. I think they're going to go after a, if they go after a guy, it's not going to be for a one year deal. It's not going to be for just a mercenary guy to come in and, and, and pitch right now. It's going to be a guy that's controlled that can slot into the rotation on a longer-term basis as well. So, you know, who they would move, I, I don't know. I think that the time will dictate. I think, obviously, a lot more injuries can happen. Things always happen. It's never a bad thing to have more starting pitching. Yeah, Jared's saying, he's saying, who's going to come out of the rotation? I mean, until Tanaka went eight innings on Friday, the, the last guy to go seven innings was um, Severino on June 10th while we were there. I mean, that's a long time to not go seven innings in a ball game. Yeah, that is a long time. And so it's not like all these pitchers are pitching tremendously. I mean, they're all struggling. No, but I think what I don't he's talking think it about be... is that it, it's a it's a guy that that is a name that who I mean, how are you going to take them out? Are you going to take Pineda out? I <laughs> maybe. I think you could easily take out Montgomery, Sessa, or uh, whoever else is not named Severino and Tanaka. Well, the problem is is that Montgomery is probably pitching more steady. And more, uh, you know, you know what you're getting from him more than anybody on this team right now. And two, Sessa's just filling in. So that doesn't, I mean, you'd be taking Montgomery out. And honestly, you're getting, you kind of know what you're getting from him at this point. You're getting three runs, five, six, seven innings from from Montgomery and, uh, or six innings. But you're getting a, a, a kind of a known quantity with him. So I don't know. So, I, you're, you're, I, so I think that you're still going to pull somebody out at that point. If, if you're fine. going after someone at that point, there's an issue. There's a bigger issue. Uh, this team needs more starting pitching. 100%. Do, do, so 
let's worry. Let's get the starting pitcher and then worry about who we're going to take out of the rotation. And you, you telling me that if Michael Pineda in in a contract year is not pitching well at the starting uh, at the uh, trade deadline, that they're not going to pull him. I mean, they have no reason to keep him in there at that point. No reason. Exactly, and we also realized that this team, like, could like Sabathia went down. Came, that injury came out of nowhere. Who's to say another one doesn't get injured? I hope it doesn't happen, but it could easily happen. It will happen. It's going to happen. They right, always look does. at what just happened with Hicks. Yeah, people get hurt, Hansberry. and and especially pitchers. Whether it's a you know, it could be a one start, two start thing, but usually it isn't. Usually, if it's one or two starts, it's three or four starts because they want to play the safe side. Then you're then you're out a month with a guy. So you always need more starting pitching. I still think that that starting pitching. I think I think Chance Adams is coming up at some point because I feel like you have to. I feel like the guy's exactly what we need. With a, I don't give a rat's ass about anything. I'm just going to go out here and pitch. I love that attitude right now because that's kind of the attitude we need. Some of these guys are just like they're just a bunch of sissies. I feel like there's non-competitors. There's too many non-competitors in this uh, in this rotation. To me, Tanaka. That was the first time we've seen him really compete since Boston, like you said. To me, Michael Pineda is a non-competitor. He's just completely out. Not he. I have no idea what to expect from him. Um, and uh, you need a guy out there who's just nails and, and doesn't give a rat's ass what's happening, but could go out there and just pitch his game. And that's what I like about Chance Adams. And I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna be an effective pitcher this year. Do you think uh, part of what we're seeing with the starting rotation and, and overall the team record that it's a little bit of a market correction that they're coming back down to earth? This team was not supposed to be a six hundred. Uh, win uh, 600 win percentage team and they're coming back down to earth yeah I mean we're seeing that individually too aren't we we start, we're seeing Aaron Hicks come back to to earth I mean now he's on the DL we're see we saw Chase Headley come back down to earth so all this was Gardner. happening when these guys were scorching hot when Gardner was hitting home runs when the um, starting rotation was actually going deep into games for that that small stretch uh, Michael Pineda was one of the most consistent Yankees pitcher. Yeah, absolutely. We're starting to see the back of the baseball cards correct themselves as well. All right, what do we have next? The next one is from Zach. He says, apologies if you've already discussed this, but what do you think about Cashman saying that Jeter should be the last captain? I think that's incredibly foolish. What if Judge Sanchez or some other unknown steps up like number two did? By the way, I called the Michael K show around <laughs> 2000 or 2001. Or is that Love you? this. No, I love this. Okay, the 2000 or 2001 to ask when he thought they'd name Jeter captain. He said they'd never do it because Bernie was the obvious choice because he'd be there. He's been there longer. I never called back to gloat. So whatever your answer, I won't hold it over your head. I love that that Zach still holds a grudge on the Michael K show from 18 years ago. How many times? How many times does Zach tweet Michael K about it though? (laughs) He never called back. But how many? How many Twitter? uh, How many little Twitter rants did he get him out of? Endless amounts. Yeah, lots of them. Interesting that Kay would have said Bernie was the obvious choice back in 2000 because I don't think Bernie strikes me as a captain type. He seems like a – I mean, there's stories of him being asleep in the in the clubhouse 10 minutes before first pitch. Bernie is the most overlooked New York Yankee of all-time history. I swear to God, this guy just gets forgotten forever. Never never in uh, in the conversation with the, the core four and all this. Well, he's Bernie's back at old forgotten Day. Guy. He was back. He's looking uh, looking looking healthy. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, Jorge was Jorge's first, first old timers day. Yeah. He says, uh, did you hear his quote? Loving the, loving the, uh, the fight of the team. Yeah. I think almost, they almost fought back on Sunday. Hey, uh, when do you think Jeter plays in his first old timers? I think it's going to be a while. I think we're like, I think we're going to see it in, uh, I don't know, 10 years after retirement. Who plays in a old timers day first, him or A-Rod? I don't think A-Rod's coming to the old-timers game. Of course. Look at the names that they trot out there for old-timers day. Guys that played for the Yankees for like two I think Clay Bellinger played at old-timers day a couple years ago. A-Rod's getting an invite. 100%. Jim Larratt Larratt still doesn't get an invite. Jimmy Larratt doesn't get an invite. He does? Are you sure about that? Yeah, he didn't get an invite. He got an invite to the 96th day. Yeah, but he didn't get an invite to to, uh, old-timers day. I, I I don't remember if he was on this. I don't think he was there today either. All right, well, look at some of the names that they trot out there for Old Timers Day. Guys who half the people in the stands have never heard of. Homer Bush. <laughs> They're definitely bringing A-Rod out for Old Timers Day. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I mean, if they keep him around the organization, I'm sure he'll screw it up by then, though. Look, he's, he's got way more. He's got a lot of time to screw this up. I don't think he's coming back anytime soon. All right, well, to the captain question from Zach. 
So to the captain question, I think it's um I think cash I th- look I think a lot of these guys say these things because because nobody has done anything at this point. So right now that's that's the answer, that's the answer right now. I mean, do we not understand that a lot of these guys give you what you want to hear at the moment? At that moment, at today in time where we stand right now, there's nobody that could be named captain because there's nobody there even remotely close. We can't talk about Aaron Judge right now because he's only been here. He's a rookie. So it's extremely premature to talk about, even have him in the conversation at this point. So right now, there is nobody on the radar. I think the captain thing is a little bit overrated. Because I think you can... It's one of those Yankee things. It's a Yankee thing. But there doesn't, like you said, there doesn't always have to be a captain. Right. It doesn't have to be. I mean, there's been, I think, 11 captains in their 100-year history or whatever. But there's not very... If you think about it, there aren't very many long times where there there is no captain playing. Right, because there was Mattingly, and then there was no, there was no captain in the late nineties, and named, then yeah. Jeter. Yeah, but I think it's just I, I, I think there's clearly clubhouse leaders. I mean, look at what Judge said about Brett Gardner the other night. He said he's one of our clubhouse leaders. I think Aaron Judge, even at 25 years old and a rookie, is a clubhouse leader. I think CC Sabathia is a clubhouse leader. None of those guys have the C, but I think they act as captains in their own way, and I think that's perfectly fine. You don't need to have a label captain. Again, it's one of those honorable things that the Yankees do as a um, as a grand gesture, saying that you are the guy. So it's it's a big deal. It's a symbolism. It's a symbolic it, thing. It, it is extremely symbolic, and it, and it just plays to the tradition of the New York Yankees. The only thing I'll I'll say that I that I hope doesn't happen is that, that I mean they've they, I feel like they have watered down a lot of the uh, the symbolic things. Like oh, you, you know, don't say with uh... <laughs> Monument Park and put, giving plaques to practically everybody. Just look at Old Timers Day. I mean, I mean, Old Timers Day has always been like that. They always trot back everybody. First of all, you got to have a lot of guys there to play, so you, you got to invite a lot of dudes. Yeah, so, I saw and, someone and, and say guys get hurt. It's not like they're playing the whole time. You got to get you got to get a lot of dudes out there. You need some bodies. That's why uh, Pat I, Kelly comes back every year. I saw someone saying that old timers day is is getting old, but that, I mean, I feel like it's always been kind of old. Not not no pun intended with the old timers day, but it's it's always kind of a little lame. Yeah, I, I like it. I like seeing. These I guys like come it. Back. It's fun it's a, seeing it. Fun fun seeing the ceremonies and watching like when Tino hit that home run a few years ago, or when O'Neill yeah, made Matt his Suey first. Hit one. Yeah, yeah, Matt Suey, or when when Paul O'Neill played his first old timers day. All that stuff is fun, but like I'm not I'm not like getting juiced up for old timers day. No, but it's it's a but it is something you circle. Like it is a fun day, and that's what it's supposed to be. Remember, it's baseball's marketing. fun. It's a marketing thing. It's not a marketing thing. Even it's it's to me, it's not a marketing thing. It it's is. A, it's, it's a, a tradition it's thing. To sell tickets partially. Oh, they come know on. that on the the old timers day in June, that's going to be a, a a a big promo day, and they're going to get a packed house. Yeah. Okay. It is it is a packed house, and it is a big promo day for that one day. But that's not the only reason that they're doing it because of the tradition, and the Yankees are seeped in tradition. And this is where I think they might be one of the only teams, if the only, if not the only team that still does it, because a lot of teams used to do it, and tradition, the Yankees are the ones that still do it. So look. I like it. I think a lot, as you get older, you're going to like it more as well. I think that's that's. Just, I like uh, it. The way stop, it goes. stop painting me out to say to me not, to say I don't like it. You hate it. You absolutely hate it. <laughs> you hate you hate fun, and I hate tradition. Get off my freaking lawn. Moving on, Michael says, "What do you think about trading for Schwarber?" Before immediately dismissing it, think about it. He could play first base for the remainder of the season and then be a full-time DH once Holiday is gone next year. His stock will be slightly lower due to his poor performance this year. His stock's going to be lower because he's in AAA right now. All right, first of all, Michael, I'm, I'm very surprised you got on this show with this question, to tell you the truth. I'm surprised Andrew put this in here. Let me I put it in there specifically to talk about Schwarber being demoted to AAA. Okay, yeah. There's zero chance of this happening, ever. Why Why would the, the Cubs, who just came off the World Series, who obviously have uh, you know, deemed this guy as one of their, their core guys moving forward. Yes, he's in AAA right now, but that doesn't mean shit for his long career. They're not going to trade him. Why would they? They're going for another World Series. Why would they trade him? It makes no sense. I don't get maybe, it. Maybe if the Yankees are out of it at the trade deadline, they could trade over Aldis Chapman for Kyle Schwarber and then <laughs> resign. Oh, wait, that did that already happen? Yeah, maybe they could do it again. That uh, that would be maybe uh, who is Mike Montgomery is their um, their new closer. Maybe he goes I, down. But can you – I mean, I was pretty shocked. I know I knew Schwarber had been struggling, but I was pretty shocked to see them actually demote him because, I mean, this dude helped him win a World Series last year. He was one of the biggest storylines in the World Series. I mean, that was such an awesome story, Schwarber playing in the Arizona Fall League and then getting up there in the World Series. Well, honestly, I think it actually goes down to um, a number of factors. One, 
they have so many guys that play different positions. When you have Schwarber who's not hitting and he's not a good defender, then you're you're almost at you're at a point where you have a pro, you have a bigger problem because you can't play defense either. So you're you're not you're not only trotting out a liability in the field, but now that he's not hitting, you have a liability at the plate at the same time. So I think the Cubs are in a weird situation. To me, it's it's just the the obvious thing that they probably should have traded him when it was hot because he belongs in the American League because he's a DH. Um, but realistically, I think they when, their opportunity, they're not going to do it. But they if they had traded him last deadline when he was having knee surgery i mean his value then was low and now his value is low because he's not playing well so i don't know when his value was high when was his value high after i guess the 2015 season i still think his value was there when he was hurt because it was an injury but they were talking about like his value was there so hypothetical i think was andrew miller for kyle schwarber i think that would have been a, a really big overpayment by by the cubs Oh yeah, I don't think it was ever considered. That's that's uh, there was never a one for one deal in my opinion to get Schwarber ever. But nobody I, but on, I don't nobody know what, on but, but I don't. But like I I don't I don't know. Who, depending, I know what they were looking for. They were looking for bullpen help. So I don't know. Like there was no possibility of them trading Schwarber for bullpen help. That no, doesn't make I, sense. If you listen to what they're saying, he was never on the table. It was just people coming to them asking about him. He was never on the table of actually being traded. They've never said that he's on the table. There's never really been coming anything coming out of Chicago saying that they're looking to trade Kyle Schwarber. It's always just been speculation from other teams who want Kyle Schwarber who are forcing this speculation. Like us, we did it constantly because it's fun to look at. But at the same time, I don't think they're ever trying to trade him because I think they know he's a special bat. But at the same time, in my opinion, long term, he's an American League player. So I think they should have traded him before. Yeah. He's definitely an American League player. I mean, I know there's rumors of the DH going to the National League, but that's not going to be for at least another couple of years if that happens. Yeah, I, I don't. There's, there's zero chance of, of him uh, being traded. So, I, 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 he's. I still. I think we said this when we did that Cubs preview, but he's he's a fun player. I I was kind of um, shocked and a little little sad to see him get sent down to AAA. I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, he honestly he belongs in New York as the long term DH. It's what he should have been, but he was drafted by, or he was put on the wrong team. Well, let him uh, off the hook. Based on what you were saying about Gary Sanchez, maybe you think Gary Sanchez is the long-term DH. Yeah, I uh, kind of he needs to start turning things around because I think eventually he's definitely going to be the DH. I mean, there's no doubt about. I don't think he's going to have a long career as a catcher because I think they're going to realize at some point that Gary Sanchez is a special bat and we need to keep him healthy and we need to keep him focused on being a offensive powerhouse. And the fact that they have Judge now, who is just an unbelievable beast of a man, and hitting the balls like Babe Ruth, if they if they can solidify that that two that that tandem, then you know, I mean, that's you, those those two guys with the offensive prowess do not come around um, very often together. Do you like I I every time Judge steps to the plate and I see his batting average around three thirty, he's got twenty six home runs, leading the league in home runs, OPS on base percentage. A part of me thinks like, am I dreaming? Somebody pinch me because this this can't this is this is not going to last. It's too good to be true. Do you feel that at all? I don't feel like it's too good to be true anymore. I don't feel like it's not going to last. I I do feel like it's going to last. It's nothing way, against him. It's just yeah. against my pessimistic attitude. Yeah, no, I get it. Well, and and I mean, your eyes. Last year, I was talking about the eye test. Last year, I mean, he looked like a completely different player, I and mean, he looked like a guy that was going to be Adam Dunn, not Babe Ruth. <laughs> but right now he looks like freaking Babe Ruth. I mean, this dude looks like, you know, the 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 second coming because I don't know, just the, the mechanics, the fact that he's going the other way to me is the biggest sign that this is real. The fact that he could go to right field consistently and and miss balls and still hit him out of the ballpark to me is the biggest sign why why this is real and it, and it's going to it's sustainable. I think he's I think he's going to be a uh one of those just all-time great players. I really do. It's just my gut feeling. He hasn't committed to the home run derby yet. Why do you think that is? Because it's Aaron Judge taking that three seconds to answer the question. Every time he, he gets a question from anybody in the media, he takes that three seconds, he does a pause, he looks down, he breathes, then he comes up with a nice, concise answer. He's waiting. He's just waiting. Waiting for what? Do you think he's waiting for the Yankees not to be losing 10 out of 12? No, I think he's waiting for it to be a lot closer to the time so it's not a distraction. I think so, he's waiting for the the right time. I think he's being uh, Derek Jeter like, being Aaron Judge like, <laughs> and he's waiting. He's just he's just putting it off they, until the, until the question is uh, is closer. 
baseball asked him last week and he hasn't answered. Doesn't that create more of a distraction than just answering one way or the other? I think no. he's going to do it. I think he's going to say yes. I think he is going to I think he's going to say yes too. I think for his own personal brand, he'd be foolish to say no because if he plays, he's already become one of the most popular players in Major League Baseball. If he goes and rocks the home run derby, I mean, this dude has a chance to be the number one selling jersey in Major League Baseball. Yeah, well, I think even if he doesn't do that, he's going to he's going to be up there with the with the top sellers. This is a guy that can absolutely do a lot. I mean, he's already done a lot for his uh for for his name this year, but yeah, he goes into that derby and you see a six seven guy hitting bombs, and whoever's not seen him before, seen him play, are going to be in awe, and they're going to turn on the Yankees when Aaron Judge is up. They're just going to. They're going to go to MLB TV and they're going to see that Aaron Judge is up, and they're going to flip the channel because they want to see it. This you, is the type of guy that you get your kid up and you let him stay up and watch. Like literally, this is the kind of guy that you get your kid in front of the freaking television and you watch because it's 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 that it, it feels that special. I'm not. I'm trying not to exaggerate and get too excited about this guy, but it just, I don't know. My gut feeling is that he's that special type of athlete. Well, back in 08, I know you've mentioned the the Josh Hamilton home run derby. That chain, that turned Josh Hamilton into a player who was having a really good st- a season and a, and a good feel-good story of him coming back from all those hardships into a superstar. Yes. And that's what if, I think that's what sort of the all-star game home run derby can do plus the New York factor, plus the fact he's right now the MVP and Rookie of the Year, which has not happened since Freddie Lynn did it in, like, 1970. My dad caught a Freddie Lynn ball in Memorial Park. Still has it. Side note. the um, <laughs> Fun fact. <laughs> how good would it be if Aaron Judge enters the Home Run Derby, goes down to Miami, and whoops Carlos uh, oh. Giancarlo Stanton's ass in Miami? 100% can happen. Yeah. It's too good to not do. It's he setting up. I mean, all the pressures on Stan. He's gonna, he's gonna be the underdog. He's gonna get booed yeah. if he if he beats Giancarlo. All the pressures on Stan. But see, Judge is such a nice a nice guy. He'll get to the final versus Stan and let Stanton win. Nice. He's still a competitor. He's still gonna win. He'll be <laughs> nice afterwards, but he's still gonna win. All right. Thanks everybody for submitting mailbag questions. If you want to submit mailbags, go to bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at Yankees Podcast, at Andrew underscore Rotondi, and at Scott Reinen. And you can call the voicemail line 646-480-0342. We've got some voicemails coming up. But before that, Scott, anything you want to say before we get out of here? I just hope these Yankees can go on the road and, and, and get it straight. It's not it's not looking good because they got to go to Houston after Home Chicago. cooking didn't work out, so maybe road cooking will. Road, yeah. Let's go get some uh, some deep dish pizza, then go to Houston and um, and somehow game up for Carlos Beltran and McCann because uh, that's that's a team that whooped our ass and has consistently had our number for a long time. So I don't know if they can get up for that and and somehow you know get get that get those competitive juices flowing, but they need to. They really, really, really need to, and they need to write the ship now because. The fact that they're in first place is a minor miracle. (laughs) All right, guys. We'll talk to you guys in a few days. Believe it or not, George isn't at home. Please leave a message at the beep. I must be out before I pick up the phone. Where could I be? (laughs) Believe it or not, I'm not home. Guys. I think the Yankees and Brian Cashman have completely lost sight of what this season is actually about. You know, we're supposed to be building for the future and getting a look at these young guys. And it's unfortunate what happened with with Greg Bird this year. But there is absolutely no reason we should still be watching Chris Carter. The guy is a veteran. He's 30 years old. He is not part of the future. He's on a one-year deal. Three million dollars. Who really gives a shit? Why is Tyler Austin not up here? Why is Tyler Wade not playing third base and Chase Headley moving over to first? Why is Ronald Torres not getting a shot to play third and and, and Headley moving over to first? It just doesn't make any sense, and I cannot watch Chris Carter. One more at that. I, I cannot stand to watch Chris Carter anymore. Let's go Yankees. What's up, guys? Chris from Long Island. Just started listening to the podcast. I'm a big fan. I just got out of a meeting at work, and I opened up my phone to see that Glamour Torres needs fucking Tommy John surgery. I don't know what I'm more upset about. The fact that our number one prospect needs Tommy John surgery. Or the fact that I have to fucking deal with Chase fucking Headley for the rest of the fucking year. I am sick. 
to my fucking stomach right now. Please talk me off of a ledge. Done with Tyler Clifford. If I see this bum on the mound one more time, I'm gonna lose my fucking mind. Every single game, same thing in the whole West Coast trip. Our offense is resilient. We come back, we tie it, we take the lead. All we need is a solid inning, inning and a half from one of these late bullpen guys. Clifford, Holder. This is gonna do his job. Chapman's gonna do his job now he's back. Tyler Clifford is fucking ruining any chance we have of coming back at ball games. And I'm fucking losing my mind. Hey, this is Mike in Maryland via North Jersey. And I gotta tell you, when Tyler Clifford comes into the game these days, I feel like as fans, we're all on going through a really bad storm, a lot of turbulence, and you're just like, we're gonna crash. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Chris from Toronto. Right now, as I'm making this, it is a seven-game losing streak. Girardi has got to find a new hand or ride. I can't stand seeing Clipper go out there, Holder go out there, giving up shots and blowing a 3-3 game against the Angels. This is ridiculous. Go out there, get Brad Hand, and possibly get Salarte back in this uniform. We, we need bats, but more importantly, we need a bullpen to be fixed. It is bullshit. Peace. Why are you put? Why are you putting Clipper in it? Why? Just put the fucking ball boy in at this point. I just want to thank you guys for being my only source of Yankee talk because the flagship station for the Yankees, WFAN, with those two fucking clowns in the morning and those two fucking clowns in the midday and Mr. Know-It-All in the afternoon, all they talk about is the fucking Mets. It's so annoying. You guys need to be on WFAN. Two Yankee fans, something that garbage station doesn't have on. I told you we'd be back. We are back in the win column, 1-0 as DD said. Matt, my boy Matt Holiday, still doing work. It's a good day. Go Yanks. Hey, Pinstripers, this is Eric calling from Syracuse, New York, and all the goodwill from Friday night has just been shoved out the window. And this Saturday game, it's 4 o'clock now, and uh, we got the rookie starting, and oh, Joe, just give the rookie the shittiest lineup of the year. Yeah, good luck there, kid. And then the, the cherry on top of the shit Sunday is another Tyler Clippert explosion. Boy, this team fucking sucks now. See ya. I can't believe I thought for a second Pineda could start a playoff game. That's my bad. I'm sorry, everybody. Six runs in the first two innings against Texas. The Yankees needed a big start from Pineda. And whenever you have to count on Pineda, you know you're in a bad spot. So everything's going wrong right now. We knew this pitching staff was a pile of crap going into the season and it's proving to be. Oh boy, tonight's going to be an interesting recording. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.